Christmas is a, a very special time for many people and for many families. It's full of traditions. It's full of special foods. I saw some of the things that my wife was already preparing for us for tomorrow. I saw a little bit of, uh, of, of that just a, a little bit ago. Our house smelled like orange. She was using a lot of orange in what she was making for tomorrow. So I guess I'll see what that was. Um, but it's full of trips. It's hopefully also full of reflection and and gratefulness and, and good cheer and all of these things. And for many people, I think that we would be able to pretty accurately say that this is their favorite time of the year. And for children in particular, this is a season that's very eagerly looked forward to. Now, for those of us who worship Jesus Christ, there's even more to this season than our family traditions and our favorite foods. We see this season as an annual reminder of Christ's incarnation, the fact that he took on flesh, the fact that he came to this earth, the fact that he was born as a baby as Josh just prayed and uh, reminded us of those things. We think about Christ's willingness to leave heaven. We think about his willingness to, to spend time with us, whereas prior he was existing in perfect union with the Father and perfect union with the Holy Spirit, and yet he was willing to, to come to this earth and take on flesh and live among us for several decades. Now, during the cold months, and I've noticed this, you know, last week's weather was pretty good. This week's weather's been pretty chilly. Uh, during the cold months, I catch myself doing something more than I probably should admit, but I catch myself daydreaming of warmer weather and warmer places. Do I have any, anyone that's like a comrade in that, in that line of thinking, okay, like half of you, all right? I think more than half, actually. Uh, that, that's a, you know, a subjective judgment I just made there, but look like more than half. But I catch myself de uh, daydreaming about that. I think about some of our favorite places to visit when we're down in Florida. I find myself watching family videos of uh, summer events and summer things that we like to do. And I find myself eagerly awaiting for the warmer weather to return. And so I struggle to embrace the cold because I prefer the warmth. And when I think about that in regard to this time of year as we celebrate Christ's incarnation, Christ made a decision that is very different from the kind of decisions that you and I typically make. He left heaven to come to earth. He left the better place to come to the infected place. Now, I haven't yet been to heaven. I know some people who are there already. I've read that it's quite a nice place, so I can't imagine leaving heaven to come here, but that's exactly what Christ did. And this evening, during our brief time together, I just want to focus on that for a second. Why did Christ do that? Why did Jesus come into this world? Why was he willing to do that? Why was that a priority for him? Why did that matter to him? Why was he willing to endure all that went along with that? Well, the Apostle Paul addresses that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at sections of that together this evening. But before we do, let me have a word of prayer for us. Lord, as we prepare our hearts now to take a look at your word, we pray that you would help each adult and each child gathered together in this place to understand the things that your word is proclaiming. Lord, these are things that we know because you've divinely revealed them to us. And so we're grateful for that fact. And we pray, Lord, that as we focus tonight on the incarnation of your son, Jesus Christ, and why he came to this earth, that we would understand the eternal and the divine purpose for his mission. So, Lord, thank you so much for what you've revealed to us in this portion of Scripture, and we pray that you'd encourage our hearts as we look at it together now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So there's a variety of things that are shown to us in this portion of Scripture, but one of the things that the Scripture reveals to us is that Jesus came to this earth to show us mercy. Let me read for us from 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 12. There it says this, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Let me pause there for a moment. This portion of Scripture was written down by the Apostle Paul as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words. And the Apostle Paul is a key figure in the spread of the gospel throughout the entire world. The Lord inspired him during the course of his life to plant churches, to train leaders, to preach, to teach. Thirteen books of the 27 books that comprise our New Testament were written down by the Apostle Paul as the Holy Spirit gave him the words to say. But Paul was somebody who had a very checkered past. Paul was somebody who had once hated Jesus, and we're told in Scripture that at one point, he actually had a reputation for terrorizing Christians and approving of their death and approving of their imprisonment. And early in the book of Acts, it records that season of the Apostle Paul's life. And then Jesus came to the Apostle Paul, and he spoke to him directly. And he helped Paul see something that he had been missing. And in fact, the thing that Paul was missing is the very thing that most people on this earth right now are missing as well. Paul came to realize that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah and Savior. And at that point, Paul trusted in Jesus to save him. And then he devoted his life to serving Jesus from that point on. But Paul remembered his past, and he still wrestled with the awkward realities of that checkered past. There were certain things in that past, in his previous experience, that I think sometimes he struggled to really allow those things to, to leave his thinking. And maybe we're, we're doing some of that too. Uh, I wrestle with that more often than I, than I wish I did. Now, I could tell that it's getting better over time as I get older, but sometimes I'll be reminded of something that I've said or something that I've done in the past that I haven't really thought about in a while. And when I start to dwell on it, it causes me to feel shame or it causes me to feel embarrassment. Even though I don't know, or even though I know I don't need to be stuck in that spot mentally any longer. And I'm curious, like, do you ever find yourself doing that? You ever find yourself dwelling on something that's ancient history and you think to yourself, why is that fresh in my mind? Like, that's something that is ancient history. It's a, and you know what most of the things that I, I think about that kind of come to my mind in moments like that? It's usually ha- it usually has to do with something I said. It's usually something that came out of this face. <laughs> and I'm like, why did I say that? Or why did I say it that way? Most of the, the biggest regrets I have in my life are, are usually, it usually comes down to something I said, or a couple of them are something I didn't say that I should have said. But what did Jesus do for Paul? You know, when you look at Paul's life, when you even think about his regrets and the things that he wished he could have like a do-over in regard to, what did Jesus do for Paul? Well, Jesus showed Paul mercy. He showed him mercy. So what is mercy, right? If we're talking about the fact that Jesus came to this earth to show us mercy, what is mercy? Well, mercy is Christ's deliverance from judgment. 
That's what it is. It's Christ's deliverance from judgment. Paul deserved eternal condemnation because of his sin, but Christ did not condemn Paul because he had taken Paul's sins upon himself at the cross. And eventually Paul understood that. And he even says, and and we just read this a moment ago, but I'll reread it. He says in verse 13, which we just read, he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But he says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. So again, why did Jesus come into this world? Well, he came, to this, he came into this world to show mercy to people who deserved nothing but judgment. And that includes you and me. That includes us. And sometimes in life, and maybe you do this too, but sometimes in life I'm tempted to complain. Complaining is like one of the easiest things in the world to do, agreed? It is very, very easy to complain, right? Maybe you do the same thing. And when I'm complaining, what am I actually doing? If I actually take time to complain, what am I really doing? In essence, when I'm complaining, I'm basically saying that that I've bought into the false belief that I deserved something better than what I got, right? Isn't that what a complaint is? It's basically saying, I believe that I deserve better than what I got. And, uh, you know, I find myself, I'm telling myself, you know, maybe I didn't deserve to be treated in a particular way, or maybe I didn't deserve to be overlooked or, or hurt or insulted or inconvenienced in any way, right? And so I end up reinforcing in my mind through complaint, I'm reinforcing into my mind that I deserved better. And if, if you spend too long doing that, here's what happens to your heart. Your heart grows bitter and it grows resentful. If you spend your life telling yourself, I deserved better, and you complain, and it goes on and on and on, your heart eventually gets hard and it grows bitter and it grows resentful. And then you look at what Scripture actually reveals to us. And according to Scripture, what do I really deserve? According to what the Bible says, what do I really deserve? The Bible tells me I really only deserved one thing. What's the one thing that I deserved? Well, from birth, Scripture says that I have been a sinner. And during the course of my life, I have rebelled against God's laws in every way possible, sometimes internally, sometimes externally. And in fact, when you look at what Scripture says, we've all done that. Every single one of us has done that. And so what do we deserve for sinning against a holy God? Well, Scripture tells us we deserve judgment, the very same thing that the Apostle Paul was acknowledging that he deserved, right? We deserve condemnation. Again, the very thing that Paul was saying, what I actually deserved was judgment. What I actually deserved was condemnation. We actually deserve to live apart from a holy God for all eternity. And yet God loves us too much to let that stand. It was always his will to intervene into the mess that we had created. And so Jesus Christ, who in the book of Isaiah is referred to as Emmanuel, you know what that means, Emmanuel? It means God with us. He came to this earth to interact with you and me and to show us mercy so that we wouldn't need to spend eternity distant from him. He came to us because we couldn't go to him. And even if we could go to him, I don't think we would have. Scripture tells us we weren't looking for him. We weren't seeking him. He came seeking us, and he came to take our condemnation upon himself and to offer forgiveness for our sin and then bless us with mercy instead of the condemnation that we deserved. Isn't that a beautiful thought? I mean, it's such a beautiful thought. And when I I think about that, I think to myself, I have no reason to complain. 
about anything. Because already I've been blessed in the greatest way, in a way that I did not deserve. And that means, in my mind, when I look at what Scripture says there, I know that all things will ultimately work out for my good. Because the ultimate good has been afforded to me as a gift. Jesus came to show us mercy. One of my, a portion of Scripture I just absolutely love and I had to share with us tonight that describes Christ's mission is found in John chapter 3, verse 17. Now, probably the most quoted verse in the Bible is John chapter 3, verse 16. But do you ever take time to read the verse that comes right after that one as well? Because it's just as glorious. And look at what it tells us in John 3, 17. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Christ came, why did Christ come into this world? He came into this world to show us mercy. He didn't come into this world to condemn us. He came into this world so that we would be saved through him because there was no plan B. That's the only option. Well, why else did Jesus come into this world? Why did, what does Paul tell us back in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1? There's something else he tells us here. He came to save sinners. That's specifically what Paul tells us here. Look at what it says in verse 15 of 1 Timothy 1. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Could you imagine calling yourself the foremost? It's like all of us want our, our children to achieve great things. You know, do you think Paul's parents were like, Now, son, be the best sinner you can be. All right? Be the, be the foremost. If you're going to do it, do it good, Right? This was Paul looking at his life and he's saying, all right, I went as far away from Christ as I possibly could. And look at what he did for me. He came into the world to save sinners. And he said, I was really good at being one, right? So you have Paul elaborating on this here. And he makes a point to, to again, to stress when it comes to sinners, he personally takes the cake. That's kind of how he's looking at this here. You know, I had an interesting conversation with a good friend a few years ago. This is someone that uh, I grew up with, someone that I went to elementary school with, someone I went to junior high with, someone I went to high school with. And uh, he and I have decided, and I reference him from time to time because he says some interesting things. And, and so I, I, he gives me good sermon material and he doesn't even know it. But um, I decided, both of us, he and I decided a few years ago, that we would try to make a point to get together once a year. We live a couple hours apart, but once a year in the summer, usually in July or August, we'll get together and we'll have lunch and we'll talk about whatever, whatever we feel like talking about. And inevitably, those conversations drift toward two things, life and spiritual things, you know, just general life and spiritual things. Now, my friend has experienced some pretty tough things throughout the course of his life, and he's also really, really into tattoos and piercings, all right? Uh, and in fact, most visible skin on his body, except his face, but right up to the face, most visible skin on his body is either tattooed or pierced. And uh, I, I've lost track of how many tattoos he has. I don't even notice when he gets a new one, because I'm surprised that he could find a spot to put it. He's literally run out of, out of blank space. He's not the type of guy that's going to wear a three-piece suit. He's not the type of guy that, um, that people, you know, maybe necessarily would assume is as nice of a guy as he is, but he's super nice. And he actually told me at one point, he said, you know, I would love to come and visit your church someday. But he said, I, I, he said I'm probably not going to do it. And I said, well, why not? And he said, I wouldn't want to embarrass you. I wouldn't want to put you in an awkward spot because maybe I'd stand out a little bit if I came to your worship service. That's what he said to me. 
So how do you think I, I responded to that? What do you think I said to my friend when he said that to me? I was surprised that he felt that way, but then also thought, no, I guess maybe he would feel that way. I assured him that he is always welcome to worship with us. And I also assured him he probably wouldn't stand out as much as he thought he would. I, I said, you know, you're, you're not the only person tattooed and pierced in our fellowship, right? You might be the most, right? You know, you might be the most because you've kind of run out of blank space, but you're not going to be the only one, right? And that actually surprised him. But one of the things that he was really grateful for was to know that I verbalized to him, you are always welcome. And it, I could see it on his face and hear it in his voice that that meant something, to know that you are always welcome. Now, there's a sad reality in this world, and my friend demonstrated it in what he said, and you've maybe experienced it yourself or heard other people express this, but there's a sad reality in this world, and it's like an impression that people have that Jesus is only for the people who look good on the outside. That he's just for the people that really look like they've got their act together on the outside. You know, maybe the people that had the perfect upbringing or people who haven't made big mistakes in their life or, or people who can really do a good job of crafting the perfect image. But that's not the case at all. Jesus didn't come to this earth to save those who didn't need saving. He came to save humanity because we're all in the same boat the exact same boat. We're all sinners who are often doing our absolute best to disguise that fact. And Paul used to think of himself as a pretty good guy. When you look at Paul's history and kind of how he went about things, he used to think of himself as, as a pretty good guy. And in fact, I'll, I'll, t I'll just confess to you that at one point in my life, that's how I used to think of myself as well, like a pretty good guy, right? And maybe that's how you once thought of yourself as well, right? Or maybe you still do. But Jesus didn't actually come to this earth to save good people. When you look at what he came to this earth to do, he didn't come to save good people. In fact, there weren't any but him. So if he came to the earth to save good people, he wasn't going to find any. He came to this earth and what did he find? People who had rebelled against him in every way. And every single one of us fit the bill. He came to this earth to save sinners. He was the only one without sin. He came to this earth to save sinners, and I'm so glad that he did. And I'm so glad that, he, that he's willing to look at people like us, you and me, people who were sinful from birth, and welcome us into his family, and give us his name, make us someone new, and remind us that we don't need to go back to the life that he saved us out of. In Christ, you and I finally find freedom. And if you haven't experienced that freedom yet, I hope that the things that Paul talks about in this passage will make an impression upon your heart to help you want that freedom. For a long time, Paul didn't know he needed freedom. He thought he was free. But then when his eyes were open, he realized, oh my goodness, I'm just chained to my, my worldliness and my, my rebellion and, and my arrogance. I'm just chained to these things. He didn't know that he needed the freedom that Christ offered him. But when Christ opened his eyes and Paul saw, then he became finally free when he trusted in Christ. Jesus came to save sinners, meaning he came to save regular people like you and me. He was the only one who was good. He's the only one who could do that. And one other thing that the scripture points out that I want to highlight for us tonight because it's significant, Jesus came to offer eternal life to anyone who will believe in him. 
And I love what it tells us in 1 Timothy 1, starting with verse 16. I'll read down to verse 17. But he says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, so he's saying as, the, as like the foremost sinner, I received mercy so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So I love how Paul concludes this paragraph. I love what he says here. and it, it, he's, he's kind of basically just doing an assessment of his life and where he's been. And when he's thinking here about where he's been and what he's been through and what Jesus has done for him, he makes a statement with a very broad application. And he tells us that Jesus exhibits perfect patience. And he says here that he was shown mercy as an example for others who would believe in Jesus and also receive eternal life. Basically, we could look at this situation and say this, and this is what people indeed in that generation said. If Jesus could save a guy like Paul, he could save anybody. If he could save a guy like Paul, he could save anybody. There is no greater gift than that. I remember talking to a guy some years ago, and uh, explaining the concept of salvation to him. And he said to me, he said, I, how could I accept that? He said, I'd be such a hypocrite if I accepted that. And I said, what do you mean you'd be such a hypocrite? And he said, I, I, I don't feel like I'm somebody that deserves that. And I said, that's the exact point. That's the whole point. Nobody deserves it. Anyone who thinks that they deserve it, deserves it, doesn't understand the concept yet. The idea is that it's a gift given to those who don't deserve, paid for by the one who did deserve it in the first place. I had another conversation, this was a few years ago, right here in the church, with a man who asked if he could make an appointment with me just to speak about some things that were kind of weighing his heart down, some things he was struggling with, some things that really felt like an internal burden. And eventually he got around to explaining it. It took him a little while to get there, but a big part of the burden he was feeling was just this emotional weight that he was wrestling with regarding all the things that he felt like he needed to be doing and all the things that he felt like he needed to accomplish, particularly by that season of his life. So he said, you know, there's all these things I feel like I need to be doing, and there's all sorts of things that in my life I thought I would have accomplished by this season of my life, and I don't see them yet. And so I, it really weighs me down emotionally. I'm really struggling with these things. And so I asked him a question. I thought to myself, I want to ask this question of us today. So don't think about that guy so much right now. Think about, think about us. And I'm just going to ask you the question that I asked him, because I think that it's important for us to wrestle with this. What would your life look like if instead of worrying about everything you feel you need to do, you paused for a moment to rest in what Christ has already done for you? So I'm going to ask the question one more time. I just want us to hear it, and I want us to think about it. What would your life look like if instead of worrying about everything you feel like you need to do, you paused for a moment to rest in what Christ has already done for you. Don't you think the quality of our life would be a lot different? And don't you think the maturity of our faith would be a lot different if we could learn to rest in what Christ has already done for us? So with that question in mind, and in light of what this scripture actually states, let's rest in the fact that Jesus grants eternal life to anyone who will simply trust in him. Let's rest in the fact that we don't have to work for that gift. 
Let's rest in the fact that we don't have to earn that gift. It wouldn't be a gift if we had to, be, if we had to earn it, right? We don't have to spend our lives crushed under the mental burden of trying to obtain that gift. God's Word reminds us that Jesus Christ gives us the gift of His peace, and He gives us the gift of His rest when we believe in Him, when we trust in Him. He will give us eternal life, and eternal life doesn't begin in the future. It begins the moment you trust in Jesus. The moment you trust in Christ, you've begun living your eternal life. So that means if I trust in Jesus Christ, I'm forgiven of my sin and I'm freely granted salvation. That's what Scripture clearly teaches. It means I don't have to work for it because Jesus Christ already did the work for me. He lived the perfect life that I did not have the capacity to live. He died on the cross to pay the debt for my sin because I couldn't pay that debt. And he rose from the grave to defeat sin's power in my life. I don't have to yield my life over to sin's power any longer, neither do you. And now he's looking at you and me, and I think this is a perfect opportunity for us to wrestle with this, being that it's Christmas Eve, but he's looking at us and he's saying, effectively, do you believe in me? You know, you can know about me, and most of the world knows about Jesus, but most of the world does not believe in Jesus, and there's a big difference. So I believe he's asking us, do you believe in me? I think he's asking it in a personal way. I think he's asking us, will you entrust your life and your future to me? I think he's asking us, will you welcome me to be God and Lord in your life? And if our answer to him is a sincere yes, we will be granted the gift of forgiveness and we will be granted the gift of life everlasting. That's his promise to us. Paul was a thankful man because of Jesus. I'm thankful too, and I know many of us gathered together right now are very thankful because what has Christ done for us? He's completely changed our lives. He's made us new people. He's given us hope where we did not possess hope prior. I look at my life and I think, all right, Lord, you've blessed me with a family and you've blessed me with a church family. And I get to experience all of this with. That I, get to, that I get to praise you together with a group of people that you have united me to because we are collectively united to you. And your family gets to be bigger than you ever imagined it could be as you're united to Christ and to all those who are united to him. So what are we celebrating this evening? You know, what are we grateful for this season? Well, we're grateful for Jesus who has shown mercy to sinners. We're grateful for Jesus who graciously shares the gift of eternal life with all who believe in him. And lastly, let me just say this. As Paul proclaimed at the end of this passage, let's also join him in proclaiming the very things that he said here. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and just for the privilege that it is to be able to spend some time together tonight looking at this. Lord, we're just so grateful that this is a moment. It's unique in our church calendar. It's unique even in how we as a, as a local church gather together for worship. Typically, we as, as families go in different spaces. The kids are downstairs. The adults are upstairs. And for practical reasons, obviously, that, that makes sense most of the time. But this is a time where we just collectively say, we're going to come together. We're going to worship you together. We're going to look at your word together, and we're going to reflect on why you actually came to this earth. 
So Lord, thank you so much for what you reveal to us in your word. Thank you for reminding us of these things, if they're things that we're already familiar with. And thank you for revealing these things to us, if they're things that, that we were not familiar with. Lord, it's wonderful that we have the privilege to be able to know you. And Lord, I'm so grateful that, that as this message was first proclaimed across the ocean, in the Middle East, in a portion of this world that most of us have never been to and probably will not visit, that this message made its way here and that we have the opportunity to respond to your gospel and trust in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that tonight and maybe even already today, we've had the opportunity to engage in, in some just celebration with family and friends and and certainly tomorrow, there'll be lots of that as well. But Lord, right now, we just pause to focus on exactly what you have done. You have come to this earth to rescue sinners. And Lord, I, I realize that Paul said of himself that he was the foremost, but the truth is he was in the exact same spot that all of us were in as well. And so, Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you look at us and you say, I'm going to fix the mess you're in. I'm going to do something about the mess you're in. I'm not going to leave you like that because I'm a compassionate God. Lord, we're so grateful that that's what you're willing to say and what you're willing to express and what you're willing to do for us. And we're grateful, Lord, again, that we could look at a portion of Scripture like this and even just think about this at the Christmas season and, and reflect on the fact that you are wonderful to us in ways that we do not deserve. We deserve the opposite of what you've gifted us with, but you've given us your Son, and through your Son, we have new life. We've received mercy. Our condemnation is lifted, and we're welcomed into your presence forever. So, Lord, thank you for these reminders. Thank you for planting these seeds fresh in our minds and fresh in our heart tonight. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace that each and every one of us would know you and walk with you each and every day, that this wouldn't be a message confined to just a moment in time, but that this would be the message that our hearts would latch onto for the rest of our lives, that we would experience the joy of eternal life as we trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for these blessings. We commit this time to you now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.